Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from one of our pastors. All right. Well, hey, I think the Christmas background looks really awesome. Let's give the people a hand that worked on that this week. You know, here at Greenwood, we really try, try to follow the verses in Hebrews that instructs us to, that says, Thou shalt not decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. And uh, it was hard this year, but we got it done, so I'm really glad. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Austin Cooper, and I am the outreach pastor here at Greenwood Baptist Church. And today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61, uh, verse 10, to start out with. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, simply being robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, I think that there's something that kind of happens to us a lot of times uh, whenever maybe we've been a part of a church for a while or we've come to know Jesus and it's, uh, we've, we've known him for a long time. A lot of times these, you know, universe-shaking, life-changing truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a lot of times the temptation is they just kind of become mundane in our hearts and in our minds. You know, this time of year is uh, my favorite time of year to take the kids, uh, my boys specifically, to playgrounds just because it's so nice out. It's usually sunny and 60 this time of year. And so uh, there's this one playground that we started going to, uh, and we started going over and over and over again because the boys really enjoyed it and they loved it. And so one time we kind of pulled up and they saw that it was the same playground that they had been going to for a while, and they're like, oh, Dad, this playground again? It's got the same slides and the same monkey bars, and, you know, we do the same things over and over again here. And so I'm like, okay, well, why don't we play for a little while here? And then there's like a quarter-mile track that goes all the way around the playground area, and it comes from that playground to the same playground, but it's just like a big loop. I said, why don't we take that after about 10 minutes of play? So they start playing, you know, kind of like Eeyore, oh, you know, this playground stinks. And so I was like, okay, let's take the quarter mile of a walk around. And those of you that have small kids, you know a quarter mile of a walk is like running a marathon. And so six hours later and about 12 gummy packs later, we kind of make the corner where they can kind of see the playground in front of them that we had just come from on the quarter mile of walk. And they look at the playground and they say, Dad, Dad, look, a brand new playground. I'm like, no, kids, this is the same playground. They're like, no, look, new slides, new everything. And they beelined it faster than I had ever seen them run before to that playground and played on the playground for about an hour and a half. And at the end of our session there, I was like, hey, guys, you know this is the same playground, right? But my, one of my oldest, he said, uh, my oldest, he said to me something that I thought was pretty significant. He said, yes, we know it's the same one but it's like we're seeing it brand new. And my hope today is that we will take something that maybe we've heard about a lot, that Jesus Christ has given us, he has robed us in his righteousness, but we will see it like it's brand new. And we will see the implications that it has on our life. And so like I said, we'll start in Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to see three things today. Number one, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be robed in the righteousness of Christ. Number two, being robed in righteousness means we take sin more seriously. And number three, being robed in righteousness means we take upon the humility of Christ. And so if you'll open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, and stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word. 
This is Isaiah speaking, and this is what he says. I greatly rejoice in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. May God add blessing to his word. Thank you. You may be seated. And so I like what Isaiah says here. He says, you have clothed me with the garments of salvation. You see, Isaiah is writing this about 700 years before the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to this earth. And so Isaiah is looking forward to what we can look back upon. And he is seeing that his sins will be forgiven by this coming Messiah. And he praises God for it. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. And I want to be very clear. If Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross, and all he did was forgive us of our sins, he would be worthy to praise him forevermore. But I like what Isaiah says here as he looks forward to the coming moment when Jesus would not only forgive us of our sins, but what does he say? He says, you have wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. You see, Jesus not only came to this earth, lived a perfect life without sin, died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, and washed those sins away for anyone who trusts in him, but he didn't just leave us there. He didn't just wash away our sins and kind of leave us and leave us kind of naked. He robed us in his own righteousness. He imputed upon us his righteousness. He gave us his own perfection and made us a co-heir with him in the kingdom of God. And this was particularly good news for Isaiah because elsewhere in Isaiah, God had told him to tell his people, the Israelites, that, hey, I've seen your acts of righteousness. I've seen your sacrifices. I've seen you giving to the poor, taking care of the widows. I've seen the best that you have to offer. And I want you to know, compared to me and my righteousness, this is God speaking to the Israelites, it is like filthy rags compared to me and my righteousness. That the best that humanity has to offer is like filthy, dirty, bathroom rags compared to God and his perfection. And this actually kind of correlates with what we see in Romans. Romans 3.23 says that all of us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of that sin is death. But the end of that verse, it doesn't stop there. And Isaiah, again, he's looking forward to this moment that Christ would come. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You see, God sent his son here to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to wash our sins away for those of us that know him, but to also give us the very righteousness of God himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, speaking of God, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Man, that is crazy that God sent his son here not only to die on a cross, but actually to take upon our sins. This tells us that he became sin for us and he gave us, he robed us in God's righteousness so that we could be the righteousness of God in 
him. And man, this flies in the face of every other teaching, whether it's in our culture, our cancel culture, crazy culture that we're in, or any other religion, even Santa Claus. He's got a good list and a naughty list, right? But every other religion basically says this, there is a perfect God that, you know, has certain requirements, and you have to act a certain way, you have to pray a certain amount of prayers, you have to go to certain sites, you have to do all these things just to be kind of acceptable to God. But as far as God giving you his perfection, don't even think about it. And our God, the true God, the God of the Bible, he blows that up. He says, hey, there is nothing you could do to become righteous on your own. No acts of righteousness. Remember, they are filthy rags to me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send myself to you, be upon in the earth among you, live a perfect life and die for your sins and take that sin upon me. And I'm not only going to just pardon you, I'm going to give you my perfection and my righteousness because that is the only way that it's going to work. You see, some people refer to the gospel of Jesus Christ as a scandal. It might sound kind of weird to you, but it is scandalous if you think about it. A perfect God coming amongst us who are filthy and giving us his perfection. It's scandalous, but it's beautiful. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 where David uh, has become king of Israel. And before David became king, there was a king named Saul, and Saul hated David. In fact, I think there's two different accounts of Saul throwing a spear at David as he's playing uh, an instrument to help soothe Saul. And then Saul actually kicks him out of the kingdom and he pursues him trying to kill him for 10 to 12 years in the wilderness. And so David and Saul, they were not on good terms. And so when David became king after Saul died, it was just kind of understood culturally that any king that wanted to Uh, come into the kingdom, he would slay basically any son of the previous king if they were not in the same bloodline. And so David had every right in his power to slay any son that was a part of Saul's kingdom, that was a part of his bloodline. And in fact, there was a grandson of Saul's named Mephibosheth. And whenever David became king, they were so afraid that David would kill Mephibosheth that servants tried to rush him away, dropped him when he was a young child or a baby, and he became lame in his legs and his feet, paralyzed. And so David comes on the scene. He had been king for years now. Mephibosheth has grown up, and in verse 3 of chapter 9, we're going to see that David wants to actually show kindness to Mephibosheth. So verse 3, it says this, So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God too. Man, I love that phrase. Don't you love that phrase? The kindness of God. I've preached whole sermons on this one, one verse. I don't have time to do that today. But the kindness of God. You see, what David is doing and what Scripture is doing, it's showing us that there is a difference between kind of cultural, surface-level human kindness and God's kindness. Like God's kindness is spoken about in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that says the kindness of God is meant to lead people to repentance. Or I like how the message puts it, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. It says the kindness of God leads to a radical life change. 
And we see here in David that there is a difference between God's kindness moving through his people and the kind of kindness that we see in like Oprah or Ellen DeGeneres or politicians. Like God's kindness is the kind of kindness that moves through his people and searches out those that culture says is our enemy. And we see that here in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. Skip to verse 6. David finds Mephibosheth. It says, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, bowed down to the ground, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness because of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you take interest in a dead dog like me? You see, this becomes a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are Mephibosheth. We are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins. We had nothing to offer God. And just like David had every right to slay Mephibosheth, God had every right to slay us. The Bible actually tells us that before we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we are an enemy of God's. doesn't mean he doesn't love us. doesn't mean that he doesn't want to know us. But we are an enemy of God's. And he has every right to slay us just like David had every right to slay Mephibosheth. But in God's kindness... In his love, he provided Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for our sins and to not only just pardon us. You see, David just didn't pardon Mephibosheth. He didn't just say like, hey, I should probably kill you, but go ahead and get out of here. What did he do? He gave him his inheritance and he sat him at the table as a co-heir of the kingdom. And Jesus does the same thing for us. He washes away our sins, but he also robes us in his own righteousness, and he gives us an inheritance as a co-heir with him in the kingdom of God. Second thing is this, that being robed in the righteousness of Christ means that we should take sin more seriously. You know, the Bible says that there is nothing that you can do to make you lose the righteousness or the robe of righteousness that Christ gives you. There's no sort of sin. There's no sort of, uh, you know, thing anyone else can do, no sort of thing that principalities can do to make you lose your salvation once you gain it. But the Bible does talk about when we return to our sin or we start sinning, it is like taking those dirty, nasty cloths that we have talked about and placing it right on top of your nice robe of righteousness. When I was uh, 22 years old, I was uh, starting to lead outreaches even before I graduated college here for, uh, for our church. And about six months into leading outreaches, uh, Greenwood affirmed my calling and basically met with whoever they needed to meet with and, and said, hey, we're going to call you to be the outreach pastor here at Greenwood. And so, uh, you know, I was back one day for college and leading a $1 car wash where we were holding out $1 car washes uh, signs and people would come in. We'd wash their car for free and give them a dollar just to remind them that God's kindness is there and he wants to know people. 
And uh, as we were washing cars and handing out the dollars, Pastor Brian comes up to me. And he says, hey, Austin, I know you're going to come on as the outreach pastor, um, but I'm wondering, have you ever uh, led mission trips before? I said, no, Pastor Brian, I've never uh, led mission trips before. He goes, okay, okay. Have you ever uh, gone on mission trips before? I said, no, Pastor Brian, I've never, uh, never even been on a mission trip before. I said, all right, all right. Have you ever thought about a mission trip? I said, yeah, I've done that. I've thought about mission trips. He said, great. Can you, when you come on staff, can you start leading trips to Haiti and South Dakota? I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. God blessed it and went great. But, so I found myself as a 22-year-old kid leading trips to Haiti and also South Dakota. And so the uh, church that we partnered with in South Dakota was named Connection Church. And we would send teams of primarily youth students up to that church, and they would have us flyer the entire community and throw huge block parties every single night of the week that we were there, and it was amazing. I mean, this was a church, or this was a community that had never really had a good church in there, and in it, people were saying, hey, I've never been prayed for. What does that even mean? We were able to share the gospel with people that literally never heard it before, and those block parties were awesome. There was popcorn. There was, uh, you know, uh, cotton candy, there was hot dogs, there was kids, and man, you had an awesome time there. But as far as hygiene goes, it was pretty difficult. Like how it worked is you got there, and they only gave you one Connection Church t-shirt. And the kind of funny part is before you left, you would pay kind of a small fee to the church plant so that they could go and buy your t-shirt for you. And the funny thing was, is when you got there, they presented it like it was the Holy Grail, like, oh, here's your Connection Church t-shirt. And you're like, wait, I bought this. Couldn't I like pay for two of them for the week, you know? Kind of reminds me of that uh, scene in uh, the Christmas uh, vacation where Chevy Chase's character is taking out Cousin Eddie, if you know what I'm talking about. And Cousin Eddie's kind of like this deadbeat guy, and Chevy Chase's character, Clark Griswold's like, hey, Cousin Eddie... You know, we've been talking about uh, providing your entire family with Christmas this year. We know that it's been hard on you guys. And uh, Cousin Eddie's like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And Clark's like, no, no, we, we want to do it. And then Cousin Eddie like whips out this huge list. He's like, all right, if you want to, here it is. And he says to Clark, hey, Clark, get yourself something real nice this year. And so that's basically how this shirt worked. It's like we paid for it, but they're acting like it's the greatest shirt in the world. And he only got one for the entire week. And so you got, you know, the block parties were awesome, but on that shirt, you would have popcorn, you would have uh, uh, cotton candy, you would have hot dog juice all over you, sweat, tears of children, you know, everything was on that shirt. And so, you know, did I tell you I was only 22 years old? And so one of the issues was, is that during shower time, I was still friends with some of the youth students that were in the youth group because I was so young. And so, and, so, and so instead of showering, I would go and play cards. I would go longboarding. I would go, you know, do whatever you students do, play hide-and-go-seek or whatever it was, instead of showering. And by day three or four, John Hartman, our youth pastor, who was kind of co-leading the trips with me, sat me down and was like, dude, you stink. Like, you need to go take a shower and do it now. And so, you know, kind of how it works also with church plants is a lot of times they don't have a lot of amenities, and so they put us in their building that they were renting, and it was basically one huge room, and so we partitioned the girl's side and the guy's side, and then the hangout side was right by where the guys showered. It was all closed off. There was nothing weird about it. 
Um, but we made it very clear, like to the students, if you walk out anything other than being fully clothed, you will immediately be sent home. And any staff members, you will be fired on the spot if you come out of this room with anything but fully clothed on. So I'm like, okay, John's telling me I stink. I need to go shower. And so I went and I showered, and it was like one of those movies, you know, with all the steam, you got the rubber ducky and everything. You're feeling good about the shower. But then I looked down, and the only clothes that I had brought into the shower were the same clothes I had been wearing all week. And there was no option to go get new clothes, or I was going to get fired. So I had to turn off the shower and take my nice, new, clean self and pick up that crusty, nasty, dirty Connection, shirt, Connection Church t-shirt. You know, it's kind of one of those that crack, you know, crackles as you're bringing it up. And I had to put that t-shirt right over my brand new self. And what the Bible says is that when we receive the robe of righteousness and we start sinning, it is like taking that dirty, nasty, hot dog juice infiltrated shirt and putting it right over our robe of righteousness. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have to understand that many of us, many of you have been walking around for way too long with a dirty, nasty t-shirt over your robe. You see, it was about day three or day four. Maybe at the day one, maybe I got a whiff of myself. But later on in the week, I had just gotten used to it. Like I didn't even realize I stunk. And I think that's kind of how sin works, is it kind of just creeps into our lives until we look around and we don't even recognize how we got to the point that we're at. There's a saying that sin will take you further than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Now, maybe for you, it just started with lust towards a coworker or towards a commercial that you saw. And now it's been years and years of you looking up stuff on the computer that you never thought you would be looking at. Maybe it started as gossip with a friend at a coffee shop. And now it's been years and years of you living a hateful, judgmental, bitter life towards other people. Maybe it started with you getting a little too carried away in the crazy political season and now all you do is spew out conspiracy theories and you look at other people that are on the other side of the political party that you're on with hatred and you look at the world through political lenses rather than through Christ-like or biblical lenses. Maybe that social drink has turned into alcoholism. Maybe that sense of entitlement has become years and years of a prideful life. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for all of us. But this is how sin works. It creeps into our lives until we're wearing a dirty, nasty t-shirt for way too long. But the good news is this, is that we all have a spiritual John Hartman that will tell you, you stink. You know, when Jesus ascended on high, he, again, not only gave us a robe of righteousness, he also gave us the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us if we have come to know him. And it, one of its many functions is to tell us that we stink. 
and to tell us, hey, brother, no, don't make that decision. No, sister, don't make that decision. No, sister, don't get into this. No, brother, don't get into that. And even if it's been 20 years of the same sin for you, the Holy Spirit is there to always remind you that you have a Father that's waiting for you. That at any point in your life, you can rip off that dirty, nasty t-shirt and you can run back to Jesus who is opening up his arms and saying, come to me, any of you who are heavy burdened or laden, and I will give you rest. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Man, don't you love that? Let that speak over you today. A new creation. Old things, like sin, the old self. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. You see, it is never too late to repent and come back to the Lord and take that shirt off. And I think whenever we are cognizant of the fact that we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ robe, robed around us, we are also cognizant of the fact and we understand that the only power that Satan has is to tempt us with dirty, nasty clothes. Third and last thing is this. That being robed in righteousness means we take upon the humility of Christ. You know, I think that there's kind of a, a temptation for us that whenever we allow this teaching that we have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself, Whenever we let that kind of become mundane in our hearts and our minds, there's a temptation to stop trusting in the righteousness of Christ and what he has done for us, and we start trusting in our own acts, and we start becoming self-righteous, and we start becoming very prideful. And I think we start seeing lost people as kind of disgusting people to stay away from, and we start trying to one-up our own brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is actually going on in a passage in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, James and John, two of the disciples, they kind of understood the teaching of Jesus. In fact, if you look at it in context, Jesus had just told them that they would have some sort of authority in heaven, that they uh, would be with him in heaven, that Jesus was going to die on the cross and he was going to ascend to his Father. And that wasn't enough for them. James and John, in one account, actually says that their mom kind of made them ask this question. I like to think of it like the mom pulling their ears to Jesus, like, go ahead, go ahead, ask him. But they come up to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we understand that we're going to get to rule with you in heaven. But hey, can you, when you get to your father, can you reserve a spot to your right and a spot to your left just for us? You see, they were trying to one-up their other friend, or their other disciples. And Jesus tells them, he's like, you have no idea what you're asking me. The other 10 disciples, they hear the James and John ask for this special kind of request. And they, of course, they become indignant. They, they, they hated this idea and they went and they bickered and they fought and they got angry. They probably wanted that spot too. And Jesus breaks in in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, and he says this. But Jesus called the disciples over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. And so what Jesus is saying here is, man, whenever we receive any, some, any sort of authority, 
And I want to be very clear about something, that receiving the robe of righteousness of Christ is an authority that is greater than any other in this entire universe. And what Jesus is saying is whenever we receive authority of any kind, our flesh, our sinful desire is to lord it over other people and to say, I got the authority, you don't. You serve me, it's not the other way around. And I think the way that I see this kind of playing out today within our churches is one of two, or two different things. Number one is then we see how lost people act, lost people just being lost people. We see how our country and our culture is heading, and we see people doing sinful acts, and we say things like, oh, I would never do that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be burdened and kind of, you know, convicted or disgusted with the sin going on, but what I am saying is we look upon that and we forget that we are only saved because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the grace that God has given us, and we look upon what's happening in our nation and our culture, and we say things like, what idiots? I would never do that. But I think that phrase, one of which I almost guarantee you everyone in here has used, including myself, I think that phrase is a good indication that we are no longer trusting in Christ and his righteousness, and we are trusting in our righteousness. Because if we understand the Bible correctly, the Bible says that apart from Christ, we could very well be doing the exact same sins of the sins that you abhor. Secondly, I think I see that there's kind of a, a sick spirit among many Christians, that we try to one-up each other. We try to look holier than thou. We try to post all of our successes on Facebook to make it seem like we are a better Christian than our fellow Christians. And again, this is what's happening here in this verse in Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to pick up in verse 26, and Jesus says, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking of himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, what the Bible says is Jesus, he did not have to gain righteousness. No one had to impute upon Jesus righteousness. Jesus just simply is, was, and always will be righteousness. And the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he didn't see his equality with God as something to be used for his advantage. No, he actually humbled himself. You see, his righteousness led him to humble himself to the point where he would live amongst us and to the point that he would die on a cross for us. You see, in Jesus' righteousness, he didn't look at what was going on in this world and say, oh, gross. No way am I going there. No, it says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus, in his righteousness, he humbled himself and he died for the tax collector. He died for the sinner. He died for the prostitute. He died for the Pharisee, the Sadducees, the Roman, the Israelites, the foreigner, the refugee, the rich, 
the poor, and he died for you, and he died for me. See, Jesus shows us that this robe of righteousness is not a call to some sort of perceived authority, but it is actually a call to come and die. Die to ourselves and humble ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Amen. Maybe you're out there today and you've heard me talk a lot about the robe of righteousness and coming to know Jesus. And like I said before, that the Bible teaches that there is nothing that you could do that is good enough to save yourself. There's not enough money you could give to the poor. There's not enough church services that you could go to. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, there is a separation between God and humans. And that the only way that we can bridge that gap is receiving the righteousness of God that he offers through coming to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And the Bible is very clear. We kind of call it the ABCs of salvation, the ABCs of coming to know Christ, the, the steps that you must take to come to know Jesus and receive that robe of righteousness. And like I said, we kind of use the ABC term that A, you must admit that you are a sinner. You must admit that, God, I realize that you are perfect and there is nothing I could do to receive righteousness. That I have sinned and I have fallen short of your glory and your perfection. That's A. And B is that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That you must believe that Jesus is the very person that he said he was. That he is the Messiah. That he came to this earth. That he lived a perfect life without sin. That he died on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And that he rose again three days later, defeating death. And then C is to confess him as Lord and Savior. That God, I am no longer going to live the way that I want to live. I'm no longer going to just try to produce filthy rags. I'm going to make you the boss of my life. And through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live to the best of my ability of what you have taught me to do. And if you've never done that before, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a second. I'm going to pray a simple model prayer, which is a prayer that is asking, you to asking Jesus to come into your heart to receive him as your Lord and Savior and to forgive you of your sins. You can repeat the exact same words after me, or you can say this prayer in your own way. But if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to today, you can pray this prayer with me. Can I have every head bowed and every eye closed? If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can pray this prayer with me. God, I realize that I am a sinner. God, I realize that you require perfection. God, I'm asking you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to make me new. Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life without sin. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead three days later, 
Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and my Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just said that prayer for the very first time and you meant it, would you look up at me? If you just said that prayer, I see you. I haven't seen you yet. Just keep on looking up. I see you. If you just said that prayer for the very first time and meant it, would you look up at me? Whether you're in person or online, if you just said that prayer, man, the Bible's very clear that you have received forgiveness of your sins, you have been pardoned, but you have also received the very righteousness of Jesus, of God himself. We're not going to ask anything of you. We want to walk with you in this decision that you've just made, whether it's in person or it's online. And up on the screen, you'll see a QR code and a a number that you can text, I did it, to simply let us know that you accepted Jesus today for the very first time. And we'd like to uh, meet with you and talk to you about what it looks like to live a life that follows Jesus Christ. Here in a second, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have our announcements and we'll be dismissed. So God, I thank you for today, Lord, and we thank you of just this good reminder of what your gospel tells us. God, we thank you that you did forgive us of our sins, but you didn't just leave us there, that you gave us your own righteousness, you gave us our power, your power, that you sat us at your table, much like David sat Mephibosheth at his table. Uh, We don't deserve it, but we thank you. Lord, I just pray that this church will be seen in the community as one that lives this out, that we know that we have a robe of your righteousness, but it causes us to serve others, it causes us to share to others, and it causes us to look more like Christ every day. God, we thank you, and we pray all this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.